Welcome to another episode of the Darren Batchelder's Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Today we have the pleasure of hosting Angel Williams, a real estate veteran with nearly two decades of experience. Angel is the managing partner at Lauren Capital, a firm with a unique mix of multifamily syndication and community impact. They have a passion for making a difference to their investors, tenants, and the surrounding neighborhoods. Join us as we delve into her wealth of knowledge in real estate investing and her inspiring journey. But before we get started, if you're a high net worth individual looking to preserve your capital and build your wealth responsibly by passively investing in multifamily real estate, and you'd like my help, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call today. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Angel Williams. Angel, appreciate you coming on the show. She's having fun already. Yeah, no. <laughs> Have a big smile, sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. So just a little bit on how we know each other and then we'll get into it. So, um, you know, this is the first time that Angel and I are talking, um, but she's in the multifamily world and doing great things and, and she's in another market. So I wanted to get her take on, on that as well. So with that, Angel, can you share with the listeners a little bit on uh, your real estate background, how, how you kind of went from residential into multifamily and how, m how many units and how many properties you're invested in? All right, absolutely. So my husband and I both grew up in families that invested in residential real estate. Um, he and I have been in residential for about 20 years. Um, if a residential deal comes across our plate and it's amazing, we're still going to do it. Uh, probably a year and a half ago, we bought two houses for like 110,000. Um, there were three twos in a carport and they cash flow really well. So it was a smart Fantastic. purchase and we walked away from title with like $18,000. So that was a smart move for us. So we still have our hands in residential a little bit. Uh, How many got, properties in residential? Um, six have? singles, a quad and a couple of duplexes. Okay. And then do you self-manage those? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched my grandparents self-manage and I knew that that was something that I would never want to do. Um, Jason's family um, had property managers his dad was kind of a handyman too. So he liked doing things like building things and stuff, but they still had a property management company. And so when Jason and I got our first house in 03, he finished up his doctorate in 06. And I've had this conversation lots of times, but I do not remember us ever having a conversation of, are we going to sell it or keep it as a rental? We just started looking for people to do the make ready. And so that became our first rental. Um, we moved to Wichita Falls in 2007 and We've been renting that house ever since. And then we've picked up other houses and other residential stuff along the way. So that was our well, residential. You know, let's, let's stay on residential before we move to multifamily, because I think a lot of people, that's what they think is, you know, if they're going to get into real estate investing, they think that residential is the safest play and is the easiest way for them to get in. So, you know, talk about maybe the, 
you know, why do you like residential? Um, why did you like residential when you started getting into residential real estate versus just say investing in the stock market? So I really never knew how to invest in stocks. My family didn't do that. Um, my grandmother was Hispanic, made it through eighth grade. My grandfather worked his tail off for seas and then he was in the army. Um, and my grandparents raised me. So they didn't have the knowledge to be in the stock market. So I never saw it. And even when I went to college, we kind of talked about it, but I still didn't really know anything about it. And so stocks were never something that I even thought of as a method of investing. And the residential stuff, it was just super easy to me because it's something I can do on my own. The biggest issue with residential is it is a super slow roll because you got to save up that 20% and then put your 20% down. And maybe it, it kind of starts tilting about, I don't know, six or seven properties where you can start doing cash out refis to buy the next one. But you're always going to be fully levered and you have to use houses to buy houses because it's I think it's hilarious when you see these memes come up on the first of the month and people are like rents due with their hats on and this big wad of cash. That is not right. a reality. <laughs> right. It's the, just not a reality. It's, it's not. But it's it's crazy, though, that like, I don't know. So if you think back to you started investing 2007. Um you know, if you have positive cash flow, so the, I agree, the cash flow is not like a major, major thing. But if you can have somebody else paying for your investment, right, and you have any kind of positive cash flow where you're not out the money, and then you get the appreciation. So like on, a, on an investment that you guys made back in 2007, I'm sure that that property is worth a lot more. We bought the house for 55 or 65. And it appraises at like 110 now, 120 maybe. Yeah. And we're, we're infinite returns. We owe nothing. None of our own money is tied up in any of our residential portfolio. Yeah, so everything in the residential huge. is infinite returns. And if you think about it, like, so, so my son, he just graduated Texas A&M and he's got a decent salary in the sixties, you know, uh, to start out with. And I think mine was in the thirties. Um, but I guess inflation takes over. But, you know, in order for you, you went from 55K to 110K, you made 55K on, on that in appreciation for doing, you know, basically for, for doing what? For, you know, buy, buying it and then holding it, it and making the payments and collecting the rent, right? And it takes a long time to, save your way to that level of wealth. Yeah, well, there's, so, there's no way to, to save yourself wealthy. There just really isn't. Right. That's a great point. I've asked, I've asked wealthy people, I'm like, do you know anybody who's built wealth just by saving? Even if they're a high income earner, you know, and, and I, they thought about it and they're like, I don't know one person. It's crazy. So, you know, I, I bring it up to, to listeners because, there's some listeners, and I'm sure you have the same thing, that there's some people that, although we're both fans of multifamily, there's some people that think that they, their mindset only allows them to think that they could get into single family first. And then they're like, oh, is it worth it? And, you know, all of that. But how else do you build wealth except for by owning assets, you know? And 
real estate, you get the leverage, you get the tax efficiency. And so, and even I read a book by Jake and Gino and you know, they, in that book, it was like, you could even rent out a room in your house, you know? And growing up, I was living with my mom and she did that, you know, when she was on hard times, we, we rented out, you know, room or two in the house. And um, so don't let the amount of money you have or the amount of experience you have stop you from getting started because you won't really understand it fully until all of a sudden you do something. And when Absolutely. you do something, then you see it. So now you, you're doing the single families. Um, you get into some duplexes and some quads. When did you get into multifamily and why? So we had our son in 2010 and 19 months later. Congratulations. Thanks. 19 months later, we got a diagnosis of um, a chromosomal abnormality. And For your son? Yes. He had a really rare genetic condition. It's called Duke15Q. When he was first diagnosed, there were 742 cases in the world. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think now they say there's like 1,400. But the thing is, is one of the, I think one of the biggest symptoms is profound autism or autism. And so a lot of people, when they get the autism diagnosis, they don't go further with genetic testing. And so there could be more and we just don't even know. Um, right. And it's really expensive. One of his therapies is about $100,000, 125000 a year. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dead serious. It's 35 hours oh one-on-one therapy every week. Oh, my goodness. And so we just were looking at the cost and the fact that at that point in time, we were like, we didn't know if he was ever going to be able to toilet himself. He's 12 now. He'll be 13 August 1st. He's still in diapers. He's got like 150 words, maybe. Um, intellectually, he's probably somewhere around three years old. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, it was just hard. And we, we've had two more children after that. So we have three typical girls and then Anson. And we just realized that what was happening in the residential world wasn't going to cut it. And so my husband had been researching and found multifamily. And so we went to an event in Grapevine with Memphis Invest. And Joe Fairless was a speaker. Mm. And at that point in time, he had about $60 million in asset center management. So this was like 2018, 2019. Now he has like 2.8 billion in right. asset center management. Right. <laughs> so he was like right. super laser, laser focused. But we met him and we just saw the possibilities of it. And we were like, man, this is something we really want to get into. Um, Let me stop you there. So what, when you say you saw the possibilities, what, what did you mean by it? What were the things that drew you to that? So with residential, yeah, you own it. And yes, it can be infinite returns. But the only way you get big chunks of change is when you refire or when you sell it, which honestly in residential doesn't happen that often because I think the probably the overlying or kind of the overarching ideas behind residential is buy and hold, unless you're a flipper. But if you're a flipper, you buy it, you rehab it, you sell it. Um, right. So it's it's just a different kind of perspective on things, and so we're looking at we're looking at the multifamily stuff, and we're like, wait a second, we get to deduct all this stuff from our passive income. And then it was like, well, we're also going to be able to get bigger chunks of change more frequently because it is kind of a flipper's mentality. But when people buy an apartment complex, you know, they buy it, they rehab it, they bump the NOI, whether they're cutting expenses or increasing incomes, and then they sell it for a higher value. So it's kind of like a fix and flip mindset, but on a much larger scale, and you're getting bigger chunks of change more frequently. Cash flow is honestly about the same, but those bigger chunks of change are super amazing. 
and the fact that you get to roll forward so much in deductions. I don't know the last time Jason and I paid taxes. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've heard a lot of people say that, that, that is really what changed it for, for some people is the, is the tax benefit of, of being involved. Um, but l- let me back up to where you were talking about, you know, these big apartment complexes are like fix and flips. Because, you know, for people that are just getting into the space, that sounds a little bizarre. Like people that are in the industry understand it. But, you know, the fix and flip, if you buy a house, you know, you may borrow the money from, a, you know, a, you know, high cost lender and you're, you're trying to rehab that card. property or put it on a credit card and get it sold as quickly as possible and take the profit. And, but with, with a multifamily complex, it's more like a three to five year fix and flip. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a hundred units, you're not kicking the people out, the tenants out. You're, you're waiting for somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to move out. And at that point, you then, they move out, they move someplace else, and then you rehab the unit, and then you raise the rent because you, you spent the money on, on the rehab. And so it takes time for all of that to roll over. And then you mentioned the NOI, the net operating income. So now all of a sudden the, the property is making more money and so it's worth more. Um, so what about, did you guys look at the fact that, so residential kind of goes up with the neighborhood uh-huh. and multifamily, you can force the appreciation. Can you talk to that? Absolutely. So when you have a single family home, the value of your home is based on your neighbors. Um, so if your neighbors don't care about their house and it looks like crap, well, your house is going to get crap value if it's the best house on the street. Um, the only time I've ever seen someone sort of be able to manipulate it was like with my father-in-law. He had about 60 to 70 units of residential multi on like just a couple of streets. And so he was able to affect the value because he owned the house on either side. And that's the only time I've really been able to see that happen in the residential environment. Maybe if somebody owns a whole subdivision, they could do something similar to that. But for the average person, you're going to own a couple of houses, maybe five, 10 houses. They're not going to be on the same street. They might be, but they're probably not. Um, It's probably your first house, the house you've moved into, and then maybe you've picked up a few on the way. Um, And so the value of your house depends on your neighbors. And so unless you're really good friends and y'all are working together in conjunction to make sure that your place looks amazing. I mean, if you, if you don't have an HOA, you're just, you're stuck. And in multifamily, you can force appreciate by manipulating where that NOI is. And so you can, you can change your residence. Um, you can do some resident change. You can do some cash for keys. If there's people that you really need to get in their unit. They're in like a super classic or something. So it's like the say it's been the same as when the apartment complex was built and you need to fix that one up. You can try cash for keys, um, try and get them into another unit, maybe at the same cost, maybe for a little bit more or it's super nice um, so that you can actually rehab that unit. But it's a much longer play because it's not just one residence. You know, it's 50, 60, 100, 150 so it'd be like dealing with that number of houses with people living in those houses and trying to get them all out, but you can't get them all out because you still need the cash flow to fund some of these things that you're trying to do. And so there's just a whole lot more moving parts. 
And once you get into multifamily, you see how much easier the residential world has become. And it actually made me like residential even a little bit more because it did. It did. Really? If Jason were out of town or if something happened and all of a sudden this great deal came and I was the only one to look at it, I know now that I could make that purchase on my own. And I could on the residential I side. could think about it. I know how the math works with it. I understand the numbers in residential. And so right. I could do that on my own. Now, 20 years ago, no way. It was so hard to me. But now that we've been in the multifamily space and the residential space, I'm very confident in my skills on the residential side. I still falter a little bit when it comes to the multifamily. I've still got some limiting beliefs for myself. And so those can derail me a few times here and there. I I get it. And so, you know, going back to your, your examples, you know, if, if you look at it single family and say you have two homes that look identical and, and they're, let's assume that they're both rentals and one is renting for $2,000 a month and one is renting for $3,000 a month. Those homes could be valued the same, right? In residential, mm-hmm. but in multifamily, they're valued based off of the NOI. They're valued based off of the cash flow that they generate. So you could have two apartment complexes right next to each other that look the same, that were built the same year, and one is bringing in $50,000 a month of NOI and one's bringing in 100000 Well, the one that's bringing in 100000 NOI is going to be valued double what the other one is. And you can't do that really in single family. It's very difficult to, to, to push that. Now, you're going to have the additional cash flow. So... I'd still rather, as a single family owner, I'd still rather have the higher rent, um, but the valuation of the property won't, won't go up at, like it will in multifamily. No, it's just, it's just not the same. Um, really, the biggest difference too, or not even the biggest, one of the other bigger differences is that when you own it singularly, if you want to do a cash out refi, you go to the bank and you do a cash out refi. You don't have to wait for a GP meeting. You don't have to vote on it. You just go do it. So you're making all of your own decisions, but it's a higher, like even if you have a property manager, you're still going to be fielding calls if the roof has to be replaced or if there's something going on with the plumbing lines. So when we got into multifamily, I was thinking, oh yeah, we've been passive with residential. Big negative on that one. Um, with, <laughs> with commercial multifamily, when you're passive, you literally just get mailbox money and you don't even have to go to the mailbox. It's magically deposited in your account every month or every quarter, depending on what your distro schedule is. Yeah, passive investments. Well, I'm 53 now. I got involved when I was 48, so what, five years ago. Um, I had never been invited to be in, a, you know, an apartment complex deal, a private market deal. Like I didn't understand what that was, and. I'm, a, I'm both a general partner and a, and a passive in different deals. And I got to tell you, when, when a deal closes and all of a sudden you get your money back and you're like, holy cow, I didn't even really have to do anything other than put my money at risk. Um, it's in the returns or at least in my experience have been substantially better than, than what I've been achieving in, in the stock market. So no, I have an example. So I have a TRS account because yeah. I was a teacher. For 17 years. And number one, in 17 years, that account is only at like 22,000. It's really sad, but it literally made $500 last year. Five, zero, zero. 
Five zero zero. And I can't get my hands on it. I'm trying to get my hands on it so I can self-direct it because right. I know I can do better than $500 in a year. Um, that's just absurd to me that people are okay with earning that little on their money. Well, here's, so I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. So this is, goes to like accountability, I think. Like, and I was guilty of this for so many years. Like if I put money into, you know, into a 401k for a company that I was working for, I kind of just forgot about it and assumed because that's the way we're taught. Now your family wasn't in, in uh, stocks, but that's the way I was taught all, all the way through was, you know, put 10, 20% away, goes in the stock market, and then it'll grow into this huge nest egg. Well, what I learned from other people was you got to be accountable for your own money. And what I heard you just say was you've got 22K that's locked up. It's literally your money, but it's locked up in this 401K. And you know that you can make more money by putting it into some other vehicle, whether it's your own, you know, your own real estate investment or your pa a passive deal into somebody else's deal. Uh, you know that there's other opportunities that can make you more money, but your money, your money is stuck. Yeah. And I, so I don't even teach anymore in the K through 12 system, but because I teach econ for a local college and they pay into TRS, even though they don't pay into my TRS, I'm not eligible to pull my money. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Your money and you can't pull it out. Yeah, and I watched you that can't. measly little $500 trickle in on a good year. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so another thing that I think, and I've, I've never been in residential um, investing, so I can't really speak to the two, but one thing that I see on the multifamily side that looks attractive to me, I do own a duplex, um, but looks attractive to me on the multifamily side is that we have full-time leasing people, full-time maintenance people on site. So, you know, with my duplex, if, if one of the tenants says there's something wrong, they contact the property management company, they have to send out a vendor and it may be the next day or maybe a few days later, um, where at an apartment complex, you know, the, the maintenance person could go look at it right now. They got, a, they got a leak in the, you know, under the sink. They can go look at it right now and fix it. If somebody's driving by and they're interested in leasing the property, they could pull in and talk to the leasing manager and sign a lease right there versus, you know, smaller properties or single family properties where you have to call and make an appointment. So what's your take on that? No, it's, um, it's part of, it's part of one of the reasons why, like, for us, industry standard and residential is 10% for property management because they're taking care of the marketing and they only make money when it's rented. And so there's a lot of pieces that they're taking care of, which also gives me a different insight into what's going on with the property management company in the multifamily space. Because once you add in all the stuff, multifamily property management companies are probably somewhere around 7 or 8%. Um, so it's, it's a little bit closer to that 10%. But like you said, there's somebody on site. So what are you saying about the, the all the other stuff? Um, because like they're typically their their fees are what two and a half to four percent. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's like so that's what they. What, that's like I guess what, it's the payroll side of it. And then you've got to pay for like your resmen or your appfolia. You pay for that per unit. Um, and then if there's any overtime hours, you're going to be paying for that. So there's. So you're adding in the salary for the. 
for the the leasing person and the mm -hmm. and the maintenance person. So once you like once you put all of it in, it's closer to like eight percent probably. Um, right. But the biggest difference is that they can handle AC repairs a lot of times. They can handle some of those smaller plumbing repairs. They can do a lot of things that in your residential stuff you're going to be calling out for. And as a passive investor, you don't even know that stuff is happening. Like we had um, the gas company came out the Thursday before Easter weekend. They're sticking that thingy in the ground, testing the ground. We got a gas leak. Well, while they're sticking that thingy in the ground, they hit the water main, busted the water main. Mm. They paid to have the water main repaired, but we're all bills paid. So all of the water spillage was just on us, which kind of sucked. And right. they, they immediately turned off the gas. Again, this is the Thursday before Easter. City offices were closed on Friday. So our residents had no gas for Easter weekend. They couldn't cook. They couldn't take hot showers. They couldn't do laundry. It was horrendous. But our investors didn't know about that because we weren't calling them saying, oh, my God, we need $40,000 today so that we can fix these gas lines. You we just, just took care it. of it. And then we in the newsletter or we sent out, I think we sent out a few texts to some people. We were like, hey, we have to pause things because this is an unexpected cost. This is what happened. It is that, you know, we're not at fault, but we're working through this the best we can. We've got a plumber right. that's going to be coming out this week, but it was Easter weekend. <laughs> and so that we couldn't even pay extra for after hours stuff because the city offices were closed. And so those are the kinds of things that happen. And I don't think that this is an isolated event. I think every owner goes through something like this at yeah, least once or twice in their ownership. But the LPs never have to hear about it. Right. Maybe they don't get a distribution this quarter. Maybe it's two quarters that they don't get a distribution, but then there's that catch up. So you're always going to be catching up to get your investors back to their pref. So there's, you're still going to get your money and that's our that's our desires to make sure that our investors get what they're entitled to as close as we can to what we projected and yeah, absolutely. do that without having to bother them for anything. Yeah, that's that's huge. Um, so you, you mentioned investors on the multifamily, but you don't mention investors on the single family. So it, do you you know why bring on investors in the multifamily and what benefit do you see and what's the benefit to them? So we don't do investors in the residential because we are the sole owners of it. Um, do people okay. get investors for residential? Sometimes they do. Um, I, I do know people that get investors for residential, especially for like big pet for like big portfolios. If they're buying 10, 20, 50 houses at a time, 100 houses at a time, they're going to pull investors in. Um, the reason why it's almost a requirement in a multifamily is because we're talking about like multimillion dollar purchases. I mean, right. I don't know about you, but I don't have a million dollars to put 20% down on a $5 million property. <laughs> no, I, I don't either. So, <laughs> and, and we like to sit on both sides. We like to have LP shares and GP because we want to know where our investors are sitting. So we're an investor just like everybody else. Right. And, and we know what it feels like when those distros don't happen. And we know what it feels like when things have to pause and it sucks. We're affected on the cash flow side of things, just like our investors are. And I think that's super important when you're looking at a team, you want to know that they're going to feel the same pain you are as an investor. So you want people that are sitting on both sides, LP and GP. Um, or that's my personal opinion. But yeah, really I mean, I, I also say to, to people that want to get in on the active side that, 
I personally believe that you should become a passive in a deal first mm -hmm. because then you can feel what it feels like to entrust your money with somebody else. And you also learn by the monthly emails and the financials that come back um, each, each week. And then you can kind of form your own style on how you want to communicate with investors. So there's a lot of learning just by being a passive investor. But, you know, some people, part of that is based on how much capital people have too. You know, so some people are like, I can't do the passive deal because I only have enough money to, to get into one deal. And so I want to be a general partner. They're going to say that. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I hear that all um, the time too. So it's, it's kind of a personal preference, I think. But if all you have is enough for one deal, you better make sure that you are connecting up with a rock star team. Because when we first yeah. got involved, we were in four deals. Three of them did great. One of them did absolute crap. And that particular team looks amazing on socials. But in real life, they simply do not perform. Yep. Um, so definitely do your due diligence on who you're, you're working with. Um, I, you know, I would also say that, you know, as people get larger portfolios, I know some great syndicators that have 10 deals that they have one that's challenging, you know, and the other nine are, are, are good and they're, they're doing their best, you know? Um, so, um, you have to kind of ferret through and, and try to figure out whether they're still good people and still, you know, working in your best interest. And it was just a tough situation versus, because I think that there are some passive, I'm a, I'm a passive in a lot of deals. I'm a GP in a lot of deals, but I, I see some passives that like the minute one thing goes wrong, they're on social media blasting the sponsors. And I'm like, you know, that same, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that same sponsor has like, you know, 10 other deals that are doing great. Like why slam them like that? Like, you know, try to understand what caused the situation. And, you know, you, you still make the decision as to whether you're going to continue to do business with them again. Um, but I've had some deals that looked bad. And then a year later, they were great. You know, because they were with, with good people. All right, so now I'm going to talk about the difference of occupancy, okay? So, you know, people have asked, I'm going to talk about two different things. So with my duplex compared to, say, my first syndication, which was a 76-unit deal, duplex, I put, my wife and I put in 50000 It was a $290,000 purchase. 76-unit, my wife and I put in 100000 and it was a $6 million purchase. So... That's like what we're talking about here. I mean, you can, you can really leverage other people's money and by being a manager and being a general partner in a syndication, we, we invested double, but the property value was more than 10 times. Um, so the second thing on that was, and I want to get your take because you're, you're a fan of, of residential. Um, when we bought the duplex, it was a new construction duplex. We brought in two tenants. And the first year, it was like, it was almost like we didn't have to do anything. We had a property manager and the money just came ACH in my account and they paid all the expenses. And, but then after a year, one of the tenants decided to move out. They were, they were buying a house. And it was like October, November timeframe. And it was vacant mm -hmm. for like no, 
November, December, January, I think February we got one. So it went from 100% occupied to 50%. In a single family house, it goes from 100% zero. to zero. And so with the 76 unit, we always had vacancy, but one, we built it into the model. And two, it never ever came close to 50%. I mean, it dropped down when we first bought it, it dropped down into the 80s. And then it was, you know, we got it back in the 90s and it stayed kind of mid 90s the whole time we owned it. Um, so what's your take on, on those two things? Yeah, so that's, that's a real bad thing about residential, <laughs> um, particularly on single family homes. So we hit a patch, I think it was about 2013, where we had two single families empty. And then we had our own personal residence. So we were floating three mortgages. That was also the year that my two, my two youngest, well, no, 2010 was the year my two youngest siblings came to live with us. So at this point in time, we're a family of six. We've got, oh my goodness. we're paying for three mortgages. And these wow. were, you know, $100,000 homes, right? So Thanksgiving rolls around and we don't have enough money for Thanksgiving dinner. And I went to the church and got help for Thanksgiving dinner. And then Christmas rolls around. They're still empty. And I went back to the church again. And I said, man, I've got kids that I can't get Christmas gifts for. And the church got Christmas gifts for my kids and for my siblings. And thank, the, that thank sucks. God. <laughs> yeah, that sucks That's to be in that position. Um, right. But then it was, I think it was six months total that that was going on. And then they both filled up and we were back to okay. But talk about humbling, having to go and say, I can't feed my family Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and for them to give us food to help us get through the holiday with all the kids home. Um, and then to help us during the same, the same way at Christmas, but they also help with gifts for the kids. So they help with food during that holiday season and then with gifts for the kids. And so I just kind of put it out there that real estate makes you look amazing on paper. Um, but the cash flow isn't always equally represented. And so right. you really have to keep in mind that you need to be taking care of yourself too and tucking something away. Um, I think that's where it becomes really important to make sure you're paying yourself a wage. We still don't do that in our residential portfolio. In your multifamily, it's kind of already baked in because you get the asset management fee, you've got your acquisition fee. So you're, you're getting kind of a wage, but more of like a lump sum and then a little bit of a monthly trickle. And so it's more baked in. And I wish we right. had something like that in the residential stuff, because I will never forget those six months. They were horrendous. It was really right. hard. Well, I'm sure I'm sure that you put some aside now. You don't want that to ever happen again. We do. Um, <laughs> the well, I'm lie. sorry that you had to go, th go through that. But you know what? There's there's um, the big man upstairs puts us through. You know, well, he doesn't give us the challenge, but we go go through the challenges and and he can use that. You know, for you can you can help somebody else that's going through that same thing Absolutely. at some point. Um, so we didn't really talk about it, but let's let's get into the multifamily side. You're in the Wichita Falls market, mm -hmm. so I'm interested in in hearing about how Wichita Falls is different than say Dallas. <laughs> um, and then you've got two properties. You know, maybe share the size of the properties mm -hmm. um, and what some of the challenges were getting into those types of deals. Okay. So I guess first we're in like seven deals passive kind of all over the place. We don't, it doesn't have to be Texas when we're doing a passive deal. 
They may all be Texas right now, but they do not have to be. If the numbers work, we're going to get into the deal. Um, on the active side, we've got a 72 unit that's about 15 minutes from our house and then an 88 unit that's about four miles from our house. And if we back up and go to the first deal, it took three GP teams to get that deal across the finish line. First two teams did not make it. Uh, at that, when the second team dissolved, Jason and I were still on the line because we had $100,000 personally that we had put hard day one. So we created a third GP team and finally got it across Holy the finish cow. line. Oh, yeah. It was, we earned massive street creds <laughs> with that first deal. So how long did that take? We got close? under contract we... in August and we closed December 17th. August of what? 21. 21? And you closed when? December 17th of 21. That was a stressful four months. Oh boy, was it. Like one time after the second team dissolved, my husband five comes months. home at lunch and he's mm -hmm. like, I'm so glad that you're just still in bed and you're not drunk because it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> it was so rough. Um, and we actually sat down and created a list of people we could call. Um, it had like 35 people on it, I think. People that were active in the field doing deals that we thought could help us. And first five people, I got a bunch of, you know, keep smiling and dialing. You're going to be fine. This is going to be great. So I was like, okay, maybe the next five. Nope. 15. Nope. Fifth, my 15th call was actually Kenny. Kenny didn't answer. And so I called Agostino with 16 and Agostino dropped everything and helped us that day. And we got a loan. Did he really? We got a loan package that day. We didn't even have a loan product. We had been through 12 or 15 loan products and nothing was working. And so that was the day he was like, oh, Lima one, you're going to have to go with Lima one. <laughs> and at the time, the interest rate was 5.99. It was high. There was a lot of expenses that were into that with the fees and stuff. But now we look back on it, we're like 5.99. This is amazing. Um, and he helped us. He called the loan broker, got the skinny on what was going on and helped us get into a loan product that day. And then we created the third GP team. Jason and I raised a million dollars on that first deal and we haven't looked back with the second deal. How did you, how did you raise a million dollars? Smiling and dialing. <laughs> so who you went to like friends and family? So we raised about a quarter of a million from friends and family. Okay. Um, and I don't know what, other I don't know what magic Frank Padalano possesses, but he's a good friend of ours, came onto that third GP team and he just makes me competitive. And so I just started calling people and, it, we wound up doing some backfill, um, but that was what took us to a million on the first deal. And the thing is, is Jason and I are lead sponsors in our own first deal. And so we didn't bring a lot of, we didn't have any commercial experience. We had residential right. experience and Frank had some commercial. And then we brought some other people on the team that had a little bit more, but it was, that first deal was insane. <laughs> it was so hard, but it's, we've learned so much. It's, right. it's been massive mm -hmm. on the learning front. And then the second deal was like night and day. We didn't get any extensions and we just got it across the finish line and it's, it's just going. Fantastic. Fantastic. What would, what would be your advice to, you know, somebody else that's out there trying to get their first deal? Man, multifamily recon. deal. recon, 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 because it could be that you're with an operator that has 10 great deals and you're the one bad deal. Or it could be that that operator actually has 11 bad deals, but looks amazing on socials. Um, so just recon before you get into it, because I know there's a lot of people that are aspiring syndicators that they've only got $50,000. It's, it's like one shot. 
So make sure that you're getting with a team that you 100% know and can trust. Because if you've only got one shot, God, you don't want to waste it. You do not want to waste it. So you're not going to look like a newbie by reconning. That's what I thought. I thought I was going to look like a total noob if all I did was recon people. But the more I've been in the space and the more deals we've done, the more I realize that it's the experienced people that are texting one another saying, hey, what do you know about so-and-so? Have you seen, do you know anybody in these deals? And the recon that I see experienced syndicators doing blows me away. So I just put that off to newbies like, Recon, 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 research, make friends with somebody that has been in the space for 10 or 15 years and absolutely find out who's doing what they say they're going to do and who's not because you don't want to waste your one shot. That's, that's great advice. I mean, the investors that were in that first deal, how many of those transitioned into the, your second deal? About 40%. 40%. So, you know, you, as a new person, to your point, I mean, there's such a reputation that it could be one and done if you pick the wrong, the wrong team and the wrong deal. Um, so, and what I would say too know, is I've, about that forty percent that came over. We did a five hundred six B. So those are people that that fifty thousand maybe their whole life savings, or that twenty five if you let them in for less. You know, whatever whatever deal you work out with them. It's a much bigger deal for them to invest in something than someone who's accredited. And that's why the SEC doesn't really, they're not as careful with the accredited investors as they are with the sophisticated investors because the percentage of their earnings is so much higher when they invest. So you lose a lot of those people as you move from investment to investment because just like a single family home, it's hard to save up that kind of money to invest again. Right. Right. And even, even the ones that are accredited, they may, you know, and when I first got in the game, I was like, well, the experienced syndicators, they don't even want my money because they already have their investors. And then what I realized though, is there's a lot of people that have, you know, a good chunk of money, but then they, they move over. They think that this multifamily world is great. They pull some, a lot of money on the stock market they get into a bunch of deals in the first year or two, and then they're tapped out. They're like, you know, everybody gets tapped out at some point, right? So you have to wait until the deal, you know, gets to year three, four, five, and there's a capital event, either a cash out refi or a sale. So, um, you know, syndicators are always looking for new investors. And so don't, you know, don't think that your capital won't go to somebody that has a ton of experience and a ton of great deals and a great reputation. You know, they, they want new investors. Um, you know, the other thing is to your point, well, you know what, let's talk about you because we're, we're, we're coming near to the end. I know that you have a summit that you, you guys do. So talk about, talk about that. That's a big undertaking. Um, so we did our very first one in March of 2020 right when COVID was hitting. And it was absolutely amazing. It was 24 female speakers. We didn't, we didn't market it as a female event because we didn't just want females in the audience. And that was our first one. And then we had our next one. And that one was in COVID. So was that all online? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of the okay. summits we do are virtual. So you really have no, all, you have no virtual. excuse. <laughs> you don't have to come on screen. You can stay behind your screen. <laughs> you can just be dressed up from the waist up. Nobody will know so long as you don't stand up. 
Um, but it's, they're a lot of fun. We're about to have our eighth one. It's September 20th, 21st, and 22nd. We're moving to a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday format. There Three are, days. Yeah. That's a long, long summit. Yeah. So it's, there's a pre-recorded tier that is 100% free. Um, and you can watch it at your leisure. And then we have a VIP subscription upgrade that's like $17 a month. This, I think it goes up to 34 next month because we've got almost 400 hours of content. And so to be able to store that much content, we're having to move up to a bigger storage package. We're not passing the whole cost on to anybody, but we are going up to 34. Um, but you will have access to all of the previously recorded. So all seven summits before this one, Plus, you'll have access to the live side, which is like 25 to 35 people. It's kind of a mastermind feeling and it's amazing. And you get to ask your questions and be a part of the like the master classes and be a part of hearing the panels and roundtables. And it's, it's just really awesome. It's we do it six days a year and it's my favorite six days out of the year. That's that's huge. So where do people find out about it? So I believe <laughs> that ah. the website is, it's um, theacademypresents.com slash summit. The, the, the Academy what? Theacademypresents.com. Okay. And then it's slash summit, I believe. If not, hopefully that will still get you somewhere where you can navigate to it. You know what? Check it out after we stop the recording and make sure you get me the the. <laughs> The right one so that I can. Well, I'm pretty sure I can make that the right address. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So what's in it for an attendee and what's in it for you? So if you do the subscription, one of the coolest things about having a podcast or a summit or any of those things is that it can be 100% selfish and it grows with you. So if you go back all the way to March 2020, you see a completely different angel and Jason than the Angel and Jason you get to see in 2023. And the topics and the depth of coverage and all of those pieces have grown with us. So if you go back to the beginning, you really get to see what a progression looks like for someone. Um, because we didn't go crazy. We're not, <laughs> we've got 10 million in assets under management. You know, we have a 72 unit and an 88 unit. We're not getting a 500 unit property. We're not raising $20 million. We're, we're doing stuff in what we consider to be manageable pieces so that right. we can learn as much as possible too as we move. And all of that, I mean, you see it in the summits. And the thing is, is that, you know, there are people that are real estate gurus that have done so much and have thousands and thousands and thousands of units. And some people can't relate because they're too far ahead. So, you know, the fact that you guys have experience, but you're still able to share with other people like, hey, it wasn't too long ago where I was, where I was, you know, having to do that for the first time. That's helpful to a lot of people and people more and some people can relate to that a lot more. Yeah. And we, we really. So what, what's it in it for you guys? I just like helping people. Um, I mean, that's that's the part I like. That's my favorite part. And it, it's from being a teacher. You know, I was, I was a teacher for 17 years. I still teach college, um, but I'm always going to have that teacher heart. And so I just enjoy sharing information and collecting information and all those things. And, and really, too, one of the other things it does is it allows us to build relationships with lots of people. And so when someone comes to me and says, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, well, yeah. Do you need an introduction? 
And so I can connect people. And even though it's not like a monetary gain, it's not monetized, there are Cialdini principles where there's there's like this idea that once you've done something for someone back in their subconscious, they believe they need to do something for you. And it goes back to that Zig Ziglar quote too. You help enough people get what they want, you're going to get what you want too. So it really comes down to, I just like to give and help. And someday it karma is going to repay me. So that's really. I, I love that. I love that. I love it. I love it. So, well, thank you for caring for other people and for, for giving back. And that's one thing I found about this industry, um, multifamily industry, because it's team related. Um, there's people that are above us that, you know, pull their hand down and help us get to the next level. And then, and then we do the same thing for the next person. And I tell people there's a ripple effect. Like, you know, when you first get into the space, you're thinking only, and it's, you know, only about yourself. Not, it's not necessarily like that, that you're just a selfish person, but like you're thinking about how do I provide my, for my family? How do I build, build wealth? But then once you learn other people in your sphere of influence, other people in your, your network start asking you, hey, I see what you're doing. How can I do it? And then you start helping other people. And if that part feels great. I mean, I think that I'm with you that there's, uh, there's monetary things in life and then there's the joy of helping other people. So that's huge. Well, um, if people want to get to know you better, what's the best way for them to reach out? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Angel Williams on LinkedIn. On Facebook, we have a Facebook community. It's the REI Rocks Community Facebook group. And there's, I don't know, just under 900 people in that group, should you want to join there. Um, I do answer my LinkedIn messages. So if you message there or if you want to go to laurencapital.com, there's ways to email Jason or I from that page as well. But we're pretty active on socials. Um, L-O-R-R-E-N-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Fantastic. Well, Angel, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.